Attention, this is not legal advice. If you are experiencing a legal emergency, contact an attorney or your local public defender's office. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Gin and Justice. Hey, I'm Justine. And I'm Amanda. Welcome to another Legal Brief with Gin and Justice. This week's Legal Brief, we are going to talk to you about exonerations, which I know comes up on our show a lot. Um, Because it's a huge problem. It is so huge of a problem (laughs) that this year alone, 82 people have been exonerated thus far, according to that University of Michigan website that we referred to in one of our legal briefs before. We'll link it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) And these are people who are just exonerated, not even people who may have been wrongfully convicted. Who were wrongfully convicted but have not gone through the full exoneration process yet. Or there were a couple people that were pardoned, so they aren't technically exonerations, but they were pardoned because there were uh there was not enough evidence. So uh the last legal brief of the month we are going to try and cover whatever exonerations happen that month because... Because there's so freaking many. Unfortunately, every month there's new exonerations. I mean, not unfortunately, like, they shouldn't be in prison, but... Right. Unfortunately, this is a thing that we have to talk about because our system sucks. Right, because uh, most of the media is so focused on crimes and criminal justice, but really not on the back end of what happens to... The people who are wrongfully convicted. Right. We just don't hear about it a lot. Or how often it happens. Right. So for the month of August, there were a total of six people exonerated, according to that Michigan Law website, the National Exoneration Registry, which keeps track. And we are going to cover each of the cases. So the first person to be exonerated in August of 2021 was Jarvis Ballard. Amanda. Tell me about Jarvis. All right. Jarvis Ballard did 23 years for a aggravated rape, which he did not commit. He was charged when he was 18 years old. The Louisiana Fourth Circuit of Appeal finally gave him a chance to show how the state developed him as a fictitious third perpetrator in a two-person crime. The state never disclosed that the person that said he was there recanted and that the second perp or said he was never even there. The St. Bernard Parish Sheriff's Detective, Scott Davis, physically battered Ballard into a confession, which was never brought up. Go figure. Mm. July 21st, 1999, he was sentenced to life in prison. He had appeal after appeal denied. The Innocence Project of New Orleans took his case in March of 2017. They provided evidence that showed that the attorney hired by Ballard's mom, who this was his first trial that he was being an attorney for um never even looked into the prosecution's file and the prosecution failed to mention to him that there was two police reports the victim said that there was only two perpetrators there was no dna implicating him the jury told the innocence project of new orleans that they thought if they had to if they thought one person was guilty they had to convict all of them and they also told them that the... Leaving your fate in the hands of a jury. 
They also informed the Innocence Project that the alternate juror was involved in deliberating. Okay, well, that's not supposed to happen. Uh Uh-huh. In 2018, he even took a polygraph that determined him to be telling the truth. Not that you can really trust uh, polygraphs, and they don't really matter in court, but it's just a little telling that he passed them. So... It took until August 2nd of this year for his case to be dismissed and for him to be freed. Wow. Yeah. Well, the next case I have is Darwin Castro Santos. He was the second person in August to be exonerated. This was also in Louisiana. And actually, there's also um, an incident involving a juror and what they said as well. Mm-hmm. Essentially, there was a, four people that robbed a diner back in July of 2009. The people that robbed the diner, some of them were speaking Spanish, some of them were speaking English. They ordered essentially the diner owner, the daughter, and then one of the customers who happened to be a retired FBI agent were victims in this robbery. Somebody took down the plate number of the vehicle, which was later found in Texas. It was actually Texas plates. And when they pulled that Durango over, they arrested the driver of the Durango as well as the passenger. And the passenger was our exoneree, Castro, uh, Darvin Castro Santos. And essentially, they took their mugshots, sent them to Louisiana, and said, hey, we found the people driving this Dodge Durango. And I believe it was some time after the robbery. So it's not like it was the same day or the next day Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Essentially, they did some pretty faulty identifications in showing the lineup to the witnesses. And the FBI agent had actually seen him either on the TV or something before And really, when you actually went to the trial, so they put both of them in trial together. They joined the defendants in trial. So the driver was actually identified by DNA evidence to be connected to the robbery. He actually said that Castro Santos was not part of the robbery, and he gave the identification of the people who were involved. But they chose not to do DNA testing of the zip ties and the bag that the money was put in for DNA to, you know, exclude Castro Santos. Uh, They actually didn't do that. The attorney originally, Castro Santos's defense attorney, actually filed a couple of pretrial motions we've talked about before, a motion in limine. One of them was to exclude Castro Santos's immigration status from the trial obviously that can create a lot of prejudice i'm sure definitely in louisiana and the judge never ruled on it he said he was going to rule on it on a different day and then he just forgot to rule on it before the trial so unfortunately what happened is the fact that castro santos was here illegally became central to the trial the main defendant who confessed and was connected to the robbery again stated at the trial that Castro Santos was not involved and he gave three names of people. The district attorney who was prosecuting kept basically saying that you can't find either of these men credible, Castro Santos or the actual guy involved in the robbery, because because they are here illegally, they're living a lie every day. Um, made several comments throughout the trial about Castro Santos's immigration status, saying things like, oh, if you find that... Sounds like it was racially motivated. Right. Weird. So that's what it comes down, and that's what it came down to, is, you know, and the district attorney kept making comments such as, oh, well, understanding that he's here illegally, you know, not like us, you won't hold that against him, right? He's, like, saying things like that in jury selection. 
Sounds like leading. During, <laughs> they later found that during deliberations, one of the jurors, because they were left down to the testimony of the witnesses, including the actual robber and Castro Santos, and the one of the jurors said something along the lines of, oh, I work with Spanish people and they lie. Oh my God. So it was not a unanimous jury. There was one holdout, but in Louisiana, you do not need a unanimous jury to convict. And so, therefore, they came back guilty. He was sentenced on January 24th, 2012 to 50 years in prison. You know, again, numerous appeals. Eventually, he was represented by the New Orleans Innocence Project. They filed a ton of motions. They did some DNA testing, which excluded him from... Ever touching any of the items that were involved in the robbery. There were cell phone records that corroborated the main, the guy who actually was involved in the robbery, corroborated his story, where he said, you know, these were the people that we picked up along the way to the robbery. The district attorney was discrediting him, essentially, even though he was a defendant, telling on himself. So I'm not really sure what the point of that was. Uh, They also had work records showing that Castro Santos was actually at work. And then the next day he was doing some outside work with uh, alibi witnesses, which his original attorney never called, never brought into the trial. Also did not use the cell phone records, which corroborated the other robber's story. The other guy who was actually involved in the robbery's story. So just basically a big mess. And what it comes down to was... The court found that no reasonable juror, based on the evidence that was presented, could have found him guilty. So obviously it was racially motivated and a lot of it centered around his immigration status. Oh yeah, this was another thing that the district attorney was saying during the trial. Uh, Mr. Castro Santos had an interpreter. Obviously you're entitled to an interpreter if English is not your first language at any legal proceedings. Because the robbers at the diner were originally speaking in English, and Castro Santos did not know any English at all. The district attorney basically was stating not to be fooled by him and his interpreter that he knows English because he did use it at the diner. Just like a lot of racially motivated statements and comments throughout the trial by the district attorney and the defense attorney did not really help when he got up and said, I'm not going to beat around the bush. My client's here illegally. And yeah, so it just... Unfortunately, the status of his immigration became sent to the trial, and that's what it came down to. And there was no actual evidence that he committed the robbery or was involved with it. So, including somebody who was actually involved with the robbery who said he was not involved with the robbery. So, and the Durango was, I know I mentioned that. I know I mentioned that the Durango was found sometime later. I just uh, re-looked, and it was over a month later that the Durango was pulled over. So, it's not even like it was near the time of the robbery that Castro Santos was in the passenger side of the Vehicle. You can literally go to prison for years of your life for crazy crimes. Yeah. For riding in somebody's car. Yes. It's just so scary. Well, I tell like- my clients that all the time. Be careful who you get in the car with because if you're a like, convicted felon, for instance, mm-hmm. and you're in the car with somebody and there's a gun in the car, you can be charged with possession of a weapon by a convicted felon. Right. And they laugh at me. Well, am I supposed to ask what's in the car? Yes, yeah. you do. Because unfortunately, if it's within your reachable area it's then it's in your constructive possession and so and then there's a three-year mandatory minimum here in florida so if you don't ask people before you get in the car with them what they have in the car if they have drugs in the car if they have a gun in the car i mean you could be fucked yeah exactly wow so unfortunately i've seen that happen all right anyways next on our exoneration list is louis garcia i'm also actually going to 
take care of the two of them at once because they were involved in the same case. So Louis Garcia and John Cape. This was out of Texas. And there was actually three defendants in this case, but one of them, I'll get to what happened with that one. But essentially there was a search warrant in Texas from the narcotics unit based on information from a CI. And this was in 20, August of 2017. Officers executed the search warrant. They went directly to the bathroom of the home and John Cape, Louis Garcia, and the third co-defendant, you know, lived there in the bathroom behind a loose floorboard. They found three pounds of methamphetamine. Essentially, after a bunch of pretrial, you know, motions that went on, they had told, they had all told their attorneys they believed it to be planted there. They had no idea how the methamphetamine got there. Eventually, all three of them took pleas. There's a female co-defendant. She took a plea to 10 years probation. Louis Garcia and John Cape both took pleas to prison. John Cape actually took a plea to a longer sentence of prison in exchange for the female co-defendant to not go to prison. She was actually on hospice at the time. That allowed her to stay out and continue her treatment. Eventually, the Bexar County, which is where it was, so the Bexar County District Attorney Conviction Review Unit, which we love that idea. Conviction mm-hmm. Review. I mean, every state attorney's office should have one. So anyways, they, they should be a separate entity. Right, right. Anyway, so, um... They were reviewing this particular drug case. They learned that the CI, the, sorry, the confidential informant that the search warrant was based on information from, had lied in another case. Um, And essentially they had found that the investigators had made a contract with this confidential informant that if he provided information on two drug cases, then his charges would be dismissed. So that's kind of a big no-no. You're really not supposed to make a contract with a CI that really... Um, and if you do, you need to disclose that to the defense. If you don't disclose that to the defense, that potential Richardson or Brady violation, that's something that defense attorneys need to know is if there was a contract because that goes to a motive of a, of a witness. So they found that the CI that provided the information had lied in another case And in that case, they found the evidence was planted. So they went back and reviewed the case of these three individuals who had claimed the whole time that the evidence was planted, ultimately came back through. They actually listened to the defendants who all three said that some guy and his little girl had come in the house earlier that day to use the restroom. And it was right before the raid happened. And they didn't really... So they're assuming, but they had no proof that they planted anything, so they couldn't really do anything, but that's why they all took pleas. Anyway, so ultimately, the two that were in prison, which were John Cape and Louis Garcia, made it through all the processes, and their cases were finally vacated and dismissed. Unfortunately, the third co-defendant, which was the female who took the 10 years probation, she died before hers could be overturned. So That sucks. Yes, that's John Cape and Louis Garcia. Yeah, so those were other ones. The next one is mine as well, Carlton (laughs) Roman. So the next exoneration of August is Carlton Roman. And Carlton Roman in 1989 was basically convicted of armed robbery and murder or something along those lines in Queens, New York. Essentially, the facts of this case were that there were three individuals at what, I mean... (laughs) Reading between the lines seemed like maybe a narcotics house, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit of a trap house. So one person was shot 
Actually, two people were shot. One of them died. One of them sustained serious injuries and was in a coma for several weeks. And one of them was bound outside of the home but was otherwise not injured. Um, essentially, these the one that was not injured as well as the one who was in a coma for several weeks provided some information and ultimately pinned it on Carlton Roman, who at the time was a college graduate, high honors, had an infant daughter, lived in Queens, had no criminal history, was not involved in the narcotics trade. And essentially, they fed that information to the officers. The officers then kind of fabricated some uh, testimony with the deceased person's wife, uh, kind of configured all of that, and he was convicted by an all-white jury. The Queens, New York Conviction Integrity Unit, the CIU as it's called in New York, ultimately reviewed and again found that no reasonable juror could have found him guilty. There was no physical evidence linking him to the crime. They found that every single one of the witnesses was completely discredited. I mean, these guys that were shot at, uh, like, went in there saying they had no criminal record, which could have easily been impeached mm-hmm. because they all had very lengthy criminal records, that they were not involved in the narcotics trade. That wasn't true. One, The one who was in the coma for weeks said he wasn't even shot, which he was because he was in the coma. So, like, all of this weird, uncredited testimony came out during trial. Um, nothing pointing to Mr. Roman. So after 31 years in prison, he was ultimately exonerated um, with the help of the New York Conviction Integrity Unit after spending 31 years behind bars. So, yes. So, and then our very last exoneration of the month of August is Joseph Carter. So November 19th, 1989, two masked men bursted into a hotel room, stabbing one man to death and hitting the other victim with a club and robbing them. Crime scene investigator with the Norfolk PD collected two types of blood. One was from the murder victim and the other one did not match the victims. They did find fingerprints in the hotel room for a Mark Pavona. When they brought him in, he implicated Joseph Carter and a Brian Whitehead. He implicated them in the murder. He said that he ran into them earlier that night and they tried to sell him drugs. And when he declined, they said they were going to go out and find some money. He claimed that Carter was targeting the victim's roommate, the club guy, because they had worked together and he had previously borrowed money from him, which he had paid back, just so everyone's clear. He didn't know this man money. Um, <laughs> but then the clubbed guy chose Carter and Whitehead out of a lineup on November 21st, 1989, and they were both arrested and charged. At Whitehead's trial in June of 1990. The jury acquitted him, stating that it wouldn't be possible to pick him out of the lineup because the intruders were masked. Like, smart covenant covering their whole face. Smart jury. On June 27th, however, of 1990, Mr. Carter was convicted by his jury. Obviously not the same jury. Right. And sentenced to life. He did, however, get out on parole November 4th, 2016, March 12th, 2018. Which sucks because I know in order to get out on parole, you have to, like, admit to what you did. Right. And so that's why a lot of exonerated people don't get out because they're still fighting and claiming mm-hmm. innocence. Well, he did get out uh, in 2016, but then March 12th of 2018, the Innocence Project at the University of Virginia School of Law started working with a pro bono attorney from Davis Polk Law Firm in New York and submitted a pardon application to the then governor, Terry McAlfee. 
In the petition, it should be noted that the detective in Carter's case had since been convicted on two counts of extortion and one of lying to the FBI. Wow. August 13th, 2020. Some real, real stuff, you guys. Governor Ralph Northam finally granted him a pardon because of the zero zero evidence that he was involved. Yeah. And his co-defendant was acquitted because there was no evidence there either. Right. So... Guys, this happens to people, regular people, yes. every day. So this happens all the time. These were just people who were exonerated in August. So we hope to give you monthly updates on everybody who's exonerated. We wish the Innocence Project lots of luck in all of their endeavors. And just want to thank them again for all of their hard work. Absolutely. Make sure you check out your local Innocence Project and see what they're up to. A lot of times they will tell you about the victories of their cases, and if you just start looking into this stuff, you're going to go down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so, we hope you enjoyed, and we hope you enjoy these monthly updates, and we- Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, whatever our oh, socials are. <laughs> actually, one more thing I want to bring up... Um, do not forget to check out Leap for Ladies. That was that business course, that free business course that we talked about in the last episode in the intro, Leap, L-E-A-P, for ladies.org. That class starts September 7th. It's free. This is our last episode before that class starts. Please check it out and get the word out either with you yourself or if anybody that you know would be interested, check out their website. It'll tell you how to get involved and how to sign up for that free class. And we'll link it in the show notes again. Absolutely. If you have a story to share, if you want to talk to us. Oh, we have a website now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jinandjusticepodcast.com. Yeah, it's awesome. So check out our website. You can contact us through there, too. Contact the website. You can check out our episodes and descriptions. Um, we It's a little basic right now. We'll kind of get better at it as we go. But yeah. give it a check out. Follow us on social media. Subscribe, rate, review to these episodes. And we will see you next time on Gin and Justice. All editing for Gin and Justice done by Gin and Justice Podcast. Artwork by Justin Cardone. Photography by Kimber Schwakey. We'll see you next time on Gin and Justice.